Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million. And this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. Did you guys see that crazy music news headline? Because we sure did, and we're talking about it over on our Patreon. Every week, you can hear our feminist takes on the music news you need to know, like Dua Lipa calling out the baby for homophobic remarks to the latest in men being misogynistic idiots. All of that's available over at patreon.com slash name three songs. And also just a reminder that if you have any topics that you think that we should be covering on the podcast, or if you are an expert on a topic and you'd love to come share your viewpoints on it, you can hit us up over on our website. We have a guest applications tab. We accept emails. You can DM us, whatever you want. So come hit us up on social. We are at Name3Songs on everything, or you can visit Name3Songs.com to get in contact with us. And with that being said, Jenna, what are we talking about today? It is my honor to introduce to you all that after one year of being a podcast, we are finally talking about K-pop. We've wanted to for a really (laughs) long time. We've not known the right way to go about it. And now that we are much more educated citizens of the world and much more critical thinkers, we are excited to unpack this today. And we're doing so in a really interesting way because I think that a lot of the stigma around K-pop as a K-pop outsider is not being able to get away from like our westernized viewpoint of what music is and what the music industry is and what it means. And so we're unpacking K-pop in a very like flipping the conversation to how different really is K-pop to what music is being put out by westernized countries. And I think that that's really the easiest way to fully understand and comprehend just how indifferent it actually is because it's pretty fucking similar to what we get from American music but obviously we love to stigmatize anything that we don't understand fully yeah there are a lot of stigmas around k-pop I personally feel that the stigma that we see with fangirls and boy bands is basically tenfold for K-pop. There's a lot of just misconceptions, myths, assumptions, misunderstandings. So we're going to try to really hit on a lot of those today. The main reason why we're doing this today is because we know that there's a lot of intrigue about what K-pop is and a lot of misunderstanding as to what it is. And so we wanted to just have like an open and honest conversation and not really say like what's right or wrong but to just meet in the middle and have a discussion from the different viewpoints we all are bringing to the table to fully try and make k-pop more understandable to people and how there's no issue of loving an artist whilst simultaneously like critiquing them and understanding that not every person in a fandom is ever going to be happy in regards to what artists are doing and We're all ready and willing and able to have our minds changed on our viewpoints. And I think that we're about to have a very eye-opening discussion on what's really going on here and what it means for the world of music. Yeah, and with that being said, we're not here to attack any fandom or any artist today. We're here to think critically about the music industry and how we perceive all of these things. So if you've been following me on Twitter, you might know that I recently dove into the world of K-pop a few months back. So it's been a fun, interesting journey. I definitely have my own personal biases. If you want to come talk to me about that later, we can totally chat. So I'm coming into this conversation with a relatively new perspective on K-pop. Sarah is kind of an outsider looking in. She knows a little bit about what's going on with K-pop. And then we do have a guest expert with us today, and that is Stephanie Parker from The K-Pop Cast, which is a podcast dedicated to all things K-pop and celebrating your faves while also thinking critically about K-pop. Stephanie has been a fan since 2004 and some of her favorite artists are Rain21 and BTS. All right, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. Yeah, so we're really excited to get into this conversation because the three of us are got different levels of experience within the world of K-pop. So we're hoping to bring all of our collective experiences together for this conversation. So I figure to start it off because our listeners are also at different levels of experience. We have our super K-pop fans and then we have the people who are maybe curious and don't really know how to get started, what to do, or they just have a lot of questions. And so we're kind of going to be breaking this down for you all in a way that is hopefully 
hopefully very easily understandable. So to do that, we're going to start off with just some base level stuff, like what you think of with K-pop versus what happens with American popular artists, predominantly looking at our top 40 stuff. A lot of pop artists, if you think, you know, Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, these types of people. And I think Stephanie will weigh in a little bit on the hip hop scene as well. So first off, just off the bat, if we think of releases within American popular music, fairly traditional is to do one album every two years or so. And what's popular right now is releasing a stream of singles or like releasing a lot of singles kind of leading up to an album or something like that. Whereas with K-pop, we see a lot more frequent releases. So Stephanie, do you want to give us a few more details about those releases? Yeah. You know, I, I don't think the release schedules are that different. If you look at K-pop, you see a stream of singles. I like how you put that. They're just like streaming them out. So there's always just constant stimulation <laughs> for yeah, the fans yeah. coming in. And not only do they release singles, but they release a lot of teasers, promotional content, behind the scenes, social media, Easter egg kind of stuff. And I think K-pop artists, I will say, probably do aim to release a full album once every one to two years, but are constantly working hard on singles and collaborations every single day. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because from my perspective, I have been listening to a lot of fourth generation artists, which are basically within the last year to three, four years that have come up. And what I've seen from them, or at least the ones I've been paying attention to, are the mini albums in between the bigger albums. Yes, mini albums. Which for American translation is basically like EPs. So I've seen they'll do like a mini album or like two mini albums and then like a full album, which like includes some of those songs, like newer songs as well. All right. And then after the full album, you have to have a repackage later. Yes. <laughs> that includes like the other stream of singles that come after. So it's really just what's most important is that constant stream of content and products all the time. I feel like that's kind of like what Dua Lipa has been doing recently with how she's had like three different versions of her initial album where she's just like, okay, how do I get the most out of this? So it seems like the more westernized artists are really picking up on what K-pop's putting out and realizing that fans like as much content and as many versions of a song as possible. And they're like, here, let's feed the fans. Why not? Yeah, that is really true with Dua Lipa because she did that whole disco remake of her Future Nostalgia album and she's still putting out music videos for Future Nostalgia and single remixes too. So that is a good point. Do you all as fans and observers enjoy that or are you kind of tired? <laughs> to be honest, I think it's I, fun. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't listen to her disco album or like the dance remake. Did you, Sarah? Yes. Because I thought that it was cool that she kind of went and got a bunch of unexpected people to feature on a lot of the songs. And so it was this really interesting take on something where she could have just leaned more into disco and just done a bunch of remixes herself. But instead, she got a lot of greats from various genres involved in this disco remix album. And I was like, oh, that's really a clever way of repackaging this because you do see a lot of pop stars just having people remix the same two singles over and over again like oh club remix or whatever and that's happened for years and so I thought that it was a really interesting take on doing that same thing of just sort of repackaging something in a new and exciting way. I personally didn't care for it as much. Maybe <laughs> I just wasn't paying attention at the time. So I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see if we see a trend of more Western or like American British artists doing this style of thing. So then moving on to kind of like lyrical content, because I know one of the stigma factors around K-pop is like, oh, they don't write their own music. And this is like a really big deal. But like lyrically speaking, so like if you're talking about popular artists, they do write a lot of their own songs. Sometimes they co-write. Sometimes other people write songs for them. When you become a big famous artist, all of the above happens. Whereas like when you're an independent artist, you kind of have to write your own songs. So we think of the lyrics in American music relating to their personal lives, them telling their personal stories, and then the themes of it change from album to album. So it's like whatever's relevant in their life, like with Taylor Swift, she had her reputation era, and then she had her lover era, and then folklore. And so within the albums, all of these songs reflect back on like what she's going through or the concept of this album. But 
I think where people have maybe misconceptions or just don't understand with K-pop is like, it kind of is the same, but I think they get tripped up because there is this overarching storyline that people don't understand. There's a lot there and I want (laughs) to slow down. With like Taylor Swift, for example, you said she had what, reputation era, Mm -hmm. lover Mm -hmm. era. Okay, these are names of albums, right? Yes. Um, I'm curious if you could like go back in time as a fan and think about what exactly you saw or heard that conveyed to you that, oh, this is Taylor writing and expressing something authentic about her life. What makes you think that? So to be fair, I'm not a Taylor super fan, but we did some episodes about her in the past. So what I'm going to speak from is my knowledge about Taylor Swift. Because Sarah, like, I don't know if you have an example that's more personal. I mean, I also don't really listen to her. But I mean, I feel like an example for me that I can relate to of albums changing sounds and themes and stuff is like with the main, they've been around for like 13 years and every album has sounded different than the last. But the themes are always pretty similar of either heartbreak or love or friendship Mm. which are like the three main themes throughout every single record that they put out but and also most (laughs) records in general but the sonic sounds change because they've evolved as people and they're an independent band so they have more say over their sound and all that like they don't work with anybody really outside of their core band (laughs) like outside of the band you know and so I think that it's more so just like having the trust in that artist to assume Mm. that the songs are authentic to who they are and I think that in regards to Taylor there is so much conversation around who could this song be about what's this about and her hinting at the relationship she's been in and other things and her saying especially right now after she released Folklore and Evermore being like oh these are my first albums that aren't about my personal experience so she's trying to tell us that every album prior has been based off of real life events but I mean like if you listen to somebody for example like Sam Fender who his songs sound really personal but when I interviewed him he said that only two songs on his debut album were actually based off of his own life and everything else was just based off of seeing and taking things in and writing stuff so I think that I mean as an outsider to K-pop I assume based off of what I've heard that it seems like they sort of create universes or stories within these albums but just because of that I don't know how much of a difference it really is you know because again it's viewing something from we're a different society we're taught different things so we don't really know if that's just the way that people go about telling their stories from other backgrounds you know so I think it's just again that viewing things from and I feel like this is going to happen throughout this whole conversation is the viewing things from our westernized gaze and them being more upfront about the fact that they do create universes within the albums that that there are different stories being told there whereas in more western artists with mainly american pop acts they tell us oh yes this is about my relationship with so-and-so or like oh this is about this time period in my life but is it (laughs) I, i would argue that there's a huge of course like business and systems behind someone like taylor Swift that helped to, in in my opinion, mold what feels like an immersive universe for the fans. You said like fans have so much fun thinking, oh, who is she talking about? What happened in that relationship? Oh my God. And that <laughs> is like an entertaining, satisfying experience for the fans. Like reputation era could be talked about as if it's a universe that she and the label build. Well, this is the thing with Taylor Swift is almost on another level than other American artists because she does very much play into a lot of the similar like I don't want to say marketing tactics but that is kind of what it is of building universes like building things that feel like a wholly encompassing visual experience visual sonic experience and like I even said like the reputation era like that's what it's called because that was the time period where she was telling that story and you think about the visuals of her music video with the snakes and the airplane and the money and the bank and the rock like that was all of those visuals. That was the concept. Yes. And 
And it's like, even though that related to an experience she had with people calling her names and like the Kanye, Kim K beef, even though it related to that, it was still that personified, amplified into this other world. Into a product and a package. Yeah. So like with Taylor Swift, she does take it to the next level. Whereas I feel like maybe a different artist like Justin Bieber is like, oh, this is his honeymoon album. And he's still writing love songs and he's still writing heartbreak songs and he's still writing Mm -hmm. about his life. Whereas his eras don't feel the same way Taylor Swift eras feel. I think what I'm hearing is that there's a lot more similarities, right, with the crafting and the creation of call it a universe you could call it you know a story or a phase or something and from the k-pop perspective i think the difference is we're more likely to see universes quote unquote that involve fantastical elements outside of this planet for example right like saying that an artist is from another planet (laughs) going that far is maybe something we for for whatever reason we don't yet or right now see how happening in American pop with an exception of, you know, I just watched little Nas X and his more recent videos and he's going like all kinds of creative directions with visuals and symbolism and being in other planets and other dimensions. So yeah, there's no discrete boundary here between what we're seeing. And I think part of this goes into the stigma that K-pop idols don't make their own music, which isn't entirely true. But like I just said, even someone like Taylor Swift co-writes with other people. She has a marketing team that works with her. Do American artists make their own music and like how do we know that and like is that just marketing like yeah Taylor wrote this at 3 a.m like did someone just make that up to make us think that you know and also she's always constantly working with other people so other people are gonna have influence in her music period like she is not doing this 100% by herself and so I think the stigma is because the idea is that these idols when they're trainees and then they debut as a group the management companies are just pulling all the strings and the idols have no say which my personal experience getting into k-pop like number one bts everyone loves to talk about how they write their own music they're quote-unquote little brothers tomorrow by together what i've seen of them is that they're helping develop those songwriting skills so that with each album they have more songwriting credits and they're trying to help them grow into another bts type but then we have stray kids from jyp who is almost 100 self-made whereas even as a debut group quote-unquote leader of the group had been a trainee for seven years and so jyp the head of the company was like all right you put together a group and we'll see if it's good enough to debut and then they did and so they write like 99% of their own music so those are the like the three main groups I'm familiar with so it, it seems to me like the conception that these idols have no songwriting capabilities have no say in the marketing isn't really true yeah no thank thank you well said and I would push it one step farther I think you'll see me do this a lot <laughs> during the episode and like turn the camera back on the American half of the equation. Like what is up with this story or this narrative that American artists do their own work by themselves? Like this is a story. This is an idea that we all know is like not really true. We just broke it down. But what does it mean to us? Or like feel free to answer that. What what does it mean to you or make you feel to feel that an, an American artist writes their own music and they do everything it comes out of their own head and there's like no team like this idea was created to make us feel a certain way I think that's a really interesting point because we also did an episode recently about how when male teen pop stars or male artists who were in like boy band leave and become solo acts that they debut with like a very R&B heavy sexual album or at least plethora of singles that are very like yeah I fuck and um <laughs> Um, what? <laughs> And in doing research, because like I've always had this where I'm like, oh yeah, it's like their justified moment, their justified moment. And so mm-hmm, in going back and <laughs> wow, haven't heard that. Before. And then going back and reading interviews or just features from like 2001 when Justified came out, there's all this like, oh, this boy wonder, the new Michael Jackson, all this stuff about how he wrote his own record and he wrote all these new songs and he did it so quickly after the hiatus for NSYNC was announced. But then you have in 2020 Pharrell being like, this whole album with songs that Michael Jackson didn't want to have and I wrote this album and if you go and you look and like the liner notes Justin Timberlake has composing credits 
but the whole narrative in 2001 is that Justin Timberlake wrote this album and I feel like there is that thing of in America we want everything to be like homegrown and like self-made and all of these sorts of buzzwords that these white male entrepreneurs use all the time about like oh I created this myself in my basement in my studio and whatever and so I think that it is this really just the American made American created self creation sort of idea and I think that in a way the fact that Justin Timberlake didn't write that album makes me hate him a little bit less because I feel like it's less him trying to prove something and more other people being like here you should prove this but I mean Justin Timberlake stole garbage human so it doesn't really actually <laughs> but but my question is because as a lost observer of what K-pop is I guess my confusion has always been is that it seems very much like they have some songs that they're like oh this is personal and this is about quote unquote real life thing and then there's other songs that seem to happen in like alternate universes and so can you demystify if that is real or if I'm just completely misunderstanding how this works <laughs> <laughs> um, I can try. I think that first of all, like something we've been touching on so far in the conversation is that it is not only possible, but highly likely that everything we see and hear and think we're seeing and hearing is created and fed to us with a certain message or like for a reason to make us feel a certain way, right? When certain artists are fed to us as independent and self-made where's the truth in that how do we know we're not in the inside and also with k-pop with the universes and like well this year txt wrote songs about their personal life that's maybe to you know counteract something that was more just like sugary pop something fun for the fans and mm -hmm. to it's all in the production schedule it's all the music labels imagination of what the fans would be comforted and entertained by you know what i'm saying the universe thing is just one more creative fun way for fans to experience their artists and use their imagination and feel what it's like to be a kid again in ways that are not that different, I think, from um, how American artists are marketed and pushed to us. I think when you see the the videos and the albums, and I think we might get thrown off by, mm -hmm. oh, wow, that's another planet, or whoa, what is he wearing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but the core purpose of that stuff is, is all the same. So I think that, Sarah, going back to what you said about the self-made thing, I think it all goes back to the American dream of pull yourself up from your bootstraps. You can do everything yourself. You can yes. build something for yourself. There's this idea that Americans have free will, free choice, autonomy. You're an individual. The system isn't getting you down, yeah. which we know is very not true. But there's this narrative <laughs> that other cultures, and particularly, I think we see this a lot with Asian cultures that are very different from what we're used to. Because I just saw a headline the other day from New York Times talking about how mm -hmm. China is scouting children to become Olympians and the state run, like this state run <laughs> program, and they're just funneling them in to get these gold medals because America has never done that. You know, there's this narrative that in other countries, the government is doing all this and the citizens have no free will. Yeah. Like this entirely undermines mm -hmm. the desire of idols to be musicians, to be singers, to be dancers, to convey emotion, to want to be artists. Like it entirely erases that desire of the individual. Well, that's like, so Jenna sent me a Zach Sang interview with Stray Kids, which was really interesting. And I feel like I learned a lot just from watching that. And it was just really intriguing that they have two members who are from Australia. And Zach Sang was like, oh, like, why K-pop when like there's pop music in Australia? And you could have done this. And he was like, well, I was raised on K-pop. And I always thought that there's so much more to K-pop than there is to just pop music in Australia because mm. there's more story. There's more artistry to it because there's all the stuff and he was like you don't just decide one day for no reason that you're gonna go and put yourself into idol boot camp and like go and do this he's like you do it because you love it and you care about it and i feel like there definitely is for some people that misconception of like oh your parents realize that you have some sort of rhythm and they send you off to idol boot camp whereas like in america <laughs> 
they very much do do that because again back to Justin Timberlake his mom was like oh you're cute you have talent signs him up for like little boy pageants makes him dress up like a sexy cowboy at the age of eight you know Mm -hmm. so it's it's this it's this ridiculous thing where it's like because these Asian countries that we as white people like don't understand because that is a lot of it is it's like there's so and I hate saying this but like there's so little culture within like the whiteness that is America that a lot of people just don't understand that there can be culture in other places and so you have the situation where it's like oh they have boot camps therefore it's evil and it's like okay where but like, did the word be- boot camp come from <laughs> who invented boot camp right right <laughs> L- like literally and so it's like you hear these words oh, and you're like oh these buzzwords that feel evil but then it's like oh but betty over there signing her kid up for baby pageants isn't doing the same thing like it's the literal same thing but who because it? it's not honey called honey boo boo what, what was who's that little girl <laughs> Yeah. yeah it's like those things where you like toddlers and tiaras like we're literally watching it happen right in front of our eyes on american soil but it's like oh it's cute it's quirky but in japan in korea it's called boot camp therefore it's evil and so it's just this weird thing that i can't wrap my head around because i feel like american culture around things is just like well we do it our, the moms want them to or like we do it because the family wants them to and it's like it's the same thing over there they just actually get taught how to do it instead of just throwing to the lions and also there's not a lot of money to be made okay i this is i don't know this for certain this is my opinion there's not a lot of money to be made as an idol unless you're bts unless you're massive 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 because sarah i was thinking about this i think it's very similar to what we saw with lou perlman and nsync and backstreet boys with the entertainment companies Mm -hmm. are spending so much money on marketing and they do so much unpaid promotion like going on tv shows and doing live performances like they're probably not paid Mm -hmm. for a lot of that so i think they're working Mm -hmm. really really hard goal is like in 10 years we're gonna be so big that it will pay off so it's like in the short term there's not a lot of incentive for families to send their kids to be trainees because they spend money like the families have to pay for them to be trainees and there's no immediate roi basically yeah i think in both korea and the u.s like all these places that have idle boot camps or whatever you want to call it there are families that are willing to put up all their life savings so that their kid could have a shot at this yeah for sure i wanted to zoom out a little bit because i think we we really touched on something important with the the narrative that americans and american artists american people are independent self-made and that narrative always exists with the other half of the coin. Like Americans are independent and self-made in relation to everyone else who is yeah. not. And I would love to ask you, ladies, where does that, uh, I, I think we, we talked a little bit about Americans think this, but like, where does that story show up in your own lives? Why do you choose to do the things you do for like, why did you choose your work or like where in your life does this kind of thing come up where I need to be independent? I need to be self-made. I'm American. You know, can you think of? I think that Jenna and I have been deprogrammed in a lot of ways, like not to like be like, oh, we're not like that. But I think like, and this sounds kind of ridiculous but I think in the ways that Jenna and I have been brought up and in the journeys that our lives have sort of gone in our eyes have been open to the ways that the rest of the world works and I think that we've been pretty demystified by this like quote-unquote American dream but I think also just from my own background like I I'm Jewish. I grew up in a very Jewish town. And the second I left my town, I was like this shock value sort of person to people. And I had never had that before because you look at me and you wouldn't think, oh, this is a Jewish girl, <laughs> like sort of situation. And then I went to college in Philadelphia, which is like an hour and a half from where I lived in New York. And all of a sudden I'm meeting kids who've never met a Jewish person before. All of a sudden I'm like this person who you're asking like, oh, well, do you know who Jesus is? Oh, do you know what this is like? Oh, do you know what this is like? And I'm like, what is happening? And it was this moment of me realizing that like what my mom had told me about growing up in Tennessee, like wasn't something that stopped happening. It was just something that wasn't happening in my town. So I wasn't like aware of it. But these people had been taught all these crazy stuff about like what being Jewish means and like all these sorts of things. And all of a sudden I was this outsider in a place and I was like, whoa, what is going on here? And I think from that, it sort of started me trying to understand why people are so obsessed with being like, 
like a white self-made American? Like, what does that mean? And why are we erasing the cultures we've come from? And why are these people so obsessed with being white? Because it's like, I moved to England and England is not perfect by any means, but you have all these people from European countries coming in and they're white people, but they're not like, oh, I'm white. They're like, oh, I'm Italian. Oh, I'm French. And so you learn that your identity doesn't have to be like white American. Your identity can be more than that. And so it's just, it's just this thing where it's also being around people like because of the pandemic, I moved back home. And my parents are like, eventually you'll have to leave. And I'm like, OK, but in so many other cultures, adult children live at home until they find a spouse. This isn't that weird. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that there is just this American idea of like, oh, the second that you can function as an individual, you need to. Like, you need to be on your own. You yeah. need to be making a path for yourself. You need to be doing all these things. And I'm like, why? Where has that come up in your life? When have you felt that pressure? I mean, like, I work in media. So I think yeah. it's just sort of every day in yes. that. It's like you have that pressure of you need to succeed. You need to be the best. You need to be interviewing as many people as possible. You need to be doing every photo shoot you can. You need to go to every concert. If you're not there, someone's going to take your place and you need to be the absolute best. Otherwise, you haven't succeeded. And so I think it's just that mindset of success is the only answer. Whereas like you can have small successes. You don't have to be the next Annie Leibovitz to have success in photography. Like you don't need to be the next Rob Sheffield to have success in journalism. Like you can just exist and do things like we have our podcast, which isn't the biggest thing in the whole world, but people come and listen and they're intrigued in what we're saying. And I'm like, that's enough. Like it, you don't need to be like the biggest thing out there as long as you're doing something that gives you some sort of feeling like just being proud of yourself I feel like it's like all that really matters rather than being like I have to be the best person in the whole world and yeah. everybody has to like listen to me I mean I think Sarah what you're saying is the hustle culture of it all like so culture yeah. your hobbies have to also bring you money if you're good at something and it's a hobby why aren't you making money off of it why aren't you hustling why aren't you working your passion project after your nine-to-five job it's all of that Yes. And it would be like beating the, the issue to death to say, well, obviously the system benefits from all of us believing and practicing hustle culture. But I think the piece we want to really just drill in here is that it is sold to us as like character virtue that yeah. it's not just like we need to work hard to make money because being poor sucks <laughs> it's <laughs> something like if you're a good person if you're a real american then yeah. you hustle and then this is just who we are right we're free yeah. we're independent people and that's our character as opposed to those asians <laughs> Right. Who are the opposite in every way. Well, I think also in regards to these things, it's like there is that whole stigma and idea around the fact that because K-pop artists are putting out so much music, people are like, oh, look at them. They just want money. They want to make capital off of these bands like these bands are just exist for them to make money and for them to be successful. And I feel like there is that false pretense of because these American artists are Yes. so much less quote-unquote regimented yeah. in the, the access of like uh -huh. oh look like Halsey's tweeting about all of this work and thought behind this album but it's like <laughs> okay but Halsey is signed to a major label people are still approving this people are still being like oh you have this interesting idea like let's go make own tweets like wake up <laughs> well yeah yeah and that's the thing is it's like people have these false ideas because somebody seems quote-unquote down to earth or they talk a lot about their creative process, which I'm not saying Halsey doesn't have a creative process, but I am saying you have artists like Mickey Guyton or Ray who are really talented artists and get signed to record labels and then the record labels are like, oh, you don't look the part. Mm -hmm. Oh, your music talks about topics that like shouldn't be talked about in this genre. Oh, we want you to sing this type of music and they get trapped in record deals and they can't put out music and they can't do things because the record labels like we can't make capital off of you yet. And so there are all these things where it's like these American artists who we're viewing as like, oh, look at them. They're so creative. They're putting so much of their selves into this work. But the record industry is still a capitalist empire. America yes. is still a capitalist country. They're so good at like existing behind the curtain and not yeah, showing exactly. the jobs. 
And so I think it's just really intriguing for me as an outsider to see how K-pop isn't hiding from the fact that this is a money-making industry, but the artists are still very much having fun and they love what they're doing. Whereas in America, we're trying every possible alleyway that we can go down to be like, no, this isn't a capitalist thing. We're doing this because we love music. (laughs) It's just like, what? Yeah. Yeah, no, I I really like the point that K-pop is, and I think to your point, Sarah, with like the universe thing, it's kind of similar of there being like, yep, this is a universe. We created this. Yep. We're doing this to make money. It like straightforward. (laughs) And America's like, how dare you speak about that at the dinner table? (laughs) Yeah. Because I think also part of it is like K-pop as an industry, it's seen as an industry and it's K-pop started in 1992 and then there were the big three companies and ever since then they've just been making money. You know, there's this storyline that this is how (laughs) K-pop exists and this is why it exists and like, yes, that is true, but also there's the evolution of it. There's how it's grown, how it's, you know, it's had its growing pains, everything to get to today. It's had the same influences. It's had TV, it's had YouTube, you know, these revolutions that American music has also, but we don't criticize American music in that same way or even the American music industry in that same way. Yeah. Is there like a, an American industry 101 explainer that like goes to like, he, these are the big three players and it shows like some well, old white executive, like, pool, I mean, it, the, like the, kind of, yeah. Who like written and presented in the way that the K-pop ones are. Yeah. I mean, well, there is, what is it? Sony, Warner and Universal are the big three record labels. SM, YG, JYP. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> it's that same thing I said to Jenna when I was looking at the stuff. I was like, oh, this feels like the intro to one of the video games that I play where it's like, here are these villainous beings and their creations <laughs> who go yeah. off and they save their own specific universes. And sometimes they try and convince you that they're real people, but it's a farce. And mm-hmm. it's like, I just feel <laughs> I just feel like that's a lot of why. And talking about it now, it's even just just discussing it, it's becoming more of like, a, oh, this isn't as big of a thing. It's just that the American media does what they always do, which is they scandalize something that they don't understand and they make it into this whole other I, thing. I wouldn't say they don't understand. I think there's a very specific... <laughs> they're acting specific, like they don't understand. They're <laughs> acting like they don't understand and, and they're like pushing a specific story that like primes us with more and more propaganda about why yeah, we Americans yeah. are actually the freest and most independent yeah. and best. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of goes back to what i said about this new york times tweet and article where they're painting china as like they're just churning out these kids to win medals it's like that's a narrative they're actively contributing to like they know what they're doing (laughs) consciously yes it all goes back to that so we've been talking a lot about you know the entertainment companies the idols themselves but i think one of the really big stigmas also around k-pop is people think that the fandom is scary the fandom is really overwhelming the fandom Mm. is omnipresent everywhere you go you can't escape you can't escape fan cams on twitter (laughs) (laughs) the part that i want to kind of unpack within fandom is that and this might be this is like an assumption that there's this pressure of k-pop fans to buy 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 all the time to consume zoom zoom all the time which again undermines the free will can, can you share can consumers. you share like where you where you got that idea or like where you saw yeah, it yeah. where you so for example with album releases you'll often have multiple different versions of the same album and it's like basically the concept photos are different then you have you're gonna get like a poster you're gonna get a photo book but then you're gonna get photo cards or like the trading cards which is a random selection so you're you're just going to get one member and it's a band with seven members. So it's like either collect them all or collect all the different versions of the album. So there's a really big incentive to buy physical products. And I think that's a big difference with American artists. American artists struggle to sell physical products. But I think there's this idea that, and we're seeing this right now with BTS and what's happening with the Billboard chart system and fans going and using their power to stream and to buy in order to promote BTS, which like any fan of any artist if you love them you want to support them you're gonna buy their merchandise and stream their music but for some reason especially with bts right now what they're doing is viewed as evil like how dare you use your money to buy products (laughs) how dare you stream like this is what i don't understand why there's this stigma specifically with k-pop around this was it weren't like believers doing that a long time ago (laughs) 
<laughs> like banding together online to stream and vote. I think this was either 2018 or 2019, like when Justin Bieber released Yummy. He uh-huh. posted a fan-made graphic. He posted so a fan-made graphic on his Instagram that told people how to stream in order to boost the numbers. And he actually got criticized for this. Yeah. So it's like his fandom yeah. was also doing this. But this was the first time that an artist publicly recognized and tried to promote it. And then he came under fire for it. Yeah. Why did he come under fire for it? and k-pop fans are fine doing it i want us to explore if you were on that side the bts army side what would be the circumstances that motivate you to behave like that to like urge you and all the other fans to just like spend all day streaming and buying i don't know if you saw but like i actually did get like believers attacked me for my twitter thread about this there you go but so like i have spent a lot of time thinking like why when bts is arguably one of the most successful the most successful group on the planet right now, arguably maybe the most successful artist overall. Why are fans so set on streaming them? Why are they so set on getting number one on Billboard? Like, why is this such a big deal? BTS is going to be successful no matter what. And I don't have a specific answer for this, but I think one of the factors with the American market is that I think ARMY thinks that BTS isn't being taken seriously and they want them to be taken seriously. They want them to be a respected part of the conversation within the American music scene. But also, as a fan, you can only stream your artists to so much. BTS cannot keep breaking records. Like, as much as they can, to a certain degree, how many records can they break? You know, every song can't outdo the last. At some point, it's gonna plateau or something else is gonna happen. So I don't entirely know what is the motivation, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm happy to go into it. And I would love to hear from you two who are more industry insiders and experts. What does topping the billboard chart mean or say about an artist? So from episodes that we've done recently and reading about billboard, specifically our recent episode about country music, we learned about the significance of radio to country music and to the American market. And so when artists chart and when they chart on radio charts as well, it's longevity. It's in front of more people. It's in front of more audiences. And they have a lot more chance of being nominated for award shows and like these higher, more prestigious category of things. And why are those things you mentioned like prestigious? Because old white men said so, Stephanie. That's why. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) No, but literally, like, that's what it is, is it's like, this is the issue with the Grammys or these things. It's like, how many out of the people who have won Best New Artist have actually gone on to be proven to be actual, like, an artist that's respected? I think it's 50-50, you know, because you have artists like Macklemore or Megan Trainer who kind of just tapered off and people don't care about anymore. And then you have artists like Adele or Billie Eilish who are still being successful and still viewed in these high standards. And black artists that are shut out continuously. Yeah, completely. <laughs> Yeah. completely and that's a th- that, but that's the other issue is it's like if you're not white if you don't look a certain way if you don't act a certain way it's like the fact that macklemore won that year was an atrocity like mm-hmm. that's fucking insane <laughs> but it was there was so much of evil it's the same thing where they invited mac miller's family to the grammys and then like didn't give him a fucking grammy and you have all these mm-hmm. situations after he passed away and you have all these situations where the grammys show face where it's like this past year when they had bts perform and the one category that they actually were nominated in wasn't even televised, you know? And most award shows are honestly just like gratuitous pats on the back. They're just giving people things to celebrate people who like donate the most money or like show the most face or like look the best, whatever the case is, you know? And if you really think about it, really mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Because there are so many talented artists who they'll give like a nod to by nominating them. But you also have in 2019 where the head of the Grammys was like, oh, well, more women would be nominated if they stepped up. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And this is the issue Jenna and I talk about all the time. It's like in the top 200 billboard charts, you have very little women. And then once you go past just like women in general, you have even less women of color and all of those sorts of things where it's just like the farther you get away from white man, the less and less there are in the charts and in getting recognized or anything. But if you look at music as a whole outside of the billboard charts, they're every gender, every race like they're from all walks of life you know but there is sort of like a paywall there's this huge barrier to being accepted into the mainstream 
And it's just insane. And I can understand from an outsider perspective why BTS fans want to continue to put them up there because they want people to be like, look, all of this stuff is fucking nonsense because this band is so successful. They're doing mm-hmm. so well. They're sitting up at the top of the charts forever. But like, are they being recognized? No. And it's this other thing where, again, we come back to the core of what we've been saying this whole time is that America and so many other countries view America as like this Mecca as like, oh, this is where you want to be. This is what you want to achieve. But the Grammys are an American award show. It's the same thing as like the Brits. But the Grammys claim, they say, this is for everybody. But are they? No. Right. No, they're not. Because there are artists who are super successful in other countries. And are they even acknowledged at the Grammys? No. You're hard-pressed to find people not singing in English being nominated for a Grammy. And it's fucking, it's insane for them to be like, oh, like, this is the global best one. It's like, no, you're literally just giving awards to white Americans. (laughs) Like, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! Right on. I love it. I wanted to ask, like, just to bring it back to the personal, maybe Sarah, in your life, have you ever been recognized by some kind of prestigious body, like with an award or promotion or it, it could be anything? I one time got a photo in an exhibition, but that had less to do with me and more to do with the photo, I'm pretty sure. It was one of those things where getting it accepted was more exciting than it actually happening because I think that in America, again, you get told like, oh, if you win something, that's going to change your whole life. They were like, oh, like, there are all these prestigious judges. They're going to be at the event. I literally yeah. like paid all this money to get business card printed. I was like, oh my God, this is going to change everything. Because like I said, it's like I was young and I was really excited because it was like a concert photography exhibition and I was like oh my god these people who I look up to had a role in choosing my photo like this is crazy but then you go and it's like almost everybody else there was at least 20 years older than me they all sort of knew each other and so I'm just there and I'm like I need to go introduce myself to people I need to go network I need to go figure out how to use this to my advantage but it was kind of like oh who is this teenager why should we take her seriously? This is and literally, so you're this, literally this, describing <laughs> BTS at American award shows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's the crazy. thing is it's like, oh, this is going to change my whole life. And that's the thing is it's like, that's also what happens to these foreign artists is they show up somewhere because they're like, oh my God, this is going to change gonna everything change for us. People are going to start to take us more seriously. And they don't because you're an underdog. And you were running around printing business cards. Yeah. Your like heart was beating out your chest. You're like, yeah, they're getting ready for their performance because of, oh my God. Yeah. And, and so I, we're doing a lot of like talking about them when like we all know what that feels like to yeah. you know chase after something prestigious, to be chosen and recognized <laughs> with something prestigious and to feel that validation. And then the post validation <laughs> is like, wait, you know, my life didn't change that much. Or it changed in such a way. I mean, did people around you, Sarah, in your profession or friends, did they treat you differently or congratulate you around that event? I think it was just one of those things where I was so anxious about it that not a single soul knew except for like Uh my parents and like my best friend. And so it was just one of those things where like it's me and my parents and I think like my aunt at this exhibition and we're just like, what do we do now? Because it was, again, that thing where it's like I'm 18 and I'm not thinking about how these things are going to work. My photo is like 30 two inch like it's like not big it's like maybe like a foot by two feet and everyone else's photo is like fucking huge because i don't know how any of these things work taking this to the bts analogy this is like yeah. if you can't beat them join them like they showed mm-hmm. up with like this is us this is me this is like doing what we're doing and then they're like oh just kidding we don't actually like you that much and then they're like well fuck like maybe i need to become what they're doing in order to like achieve that recognition like become accepted as one of them can't beat them join them yes exactly before you actually get that award before you are chosen you're obsessed with it and you're spending all this energy and you can't think about anything else you're not like eh, that doesn't mean like we on the outside or we on the other side can be like yeah that doesn't mean anything whatever it's just old white guys choosing it but there's something real there about the story of how it's going to change your life what it says about you that it means you're legit and all of us fans buy into that 
on behalf of BTS and in our own personal yeah. lives and our pro- in our professional lives. It's the same exact feeling and story. Like you want that yeah. promotion. You want the- Throughout this conversation, we're saying like this is an American mindset, but this American mindset has very much been projected onto the global scale yes. of like, oh my God. you're only worthy if you win a Grammy. You're only worthy if you've been accepted in America, if yeah. you've broken the American market, you know? Right. And what's the hidden subtext about what they're saying about the American market, American people? It only matters if Americans listen and think you're legit. I think that that's an interesting point of like, if Americans think you matter, then you matter. Because in another Western artist example who hasn't really had American success, but still is going strong and being successful, you have a little mix in England who can't Mm. seem to break America, even though they're an incredibly talented girl group, have so much going for them. They do so much for young women to feel empowered and everything you're quote unquote supposed to do as a girl group. Mm. And they can't seem to break America, but that hasn't seemed to stop them because they've made so many albums they've had so much success in England where they're from and so I think it's that interesting thing where they don't have the same sort of fan base as BTS does so there isn't as much like oh if we stream them if we do this if we do that they might have more success here but I think also in another way people have just seen that like well they're doing fine over there so maybe we don't need to worry about America so much when we talk about the fan base doesn't do this who's really pulling the strings and making the decisions here? I would really want to turn the microscope on their label. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously there's that too, where it's like the labels aren't trying, but I think that Maybe fans... not right now. They're not, they're not trying or they tried and they decided, eh, let's, let's take it easy for now. Like th- these are all business decisions. As somebody who works in journalism, like from my experience, it seemed very much from like a journalistic perspective of somebody who was trying to interview them for relatively larger size media outlets that their team was like, if you're not L or Teen Vogue, we don't want to work with you. And so it was this weird situation where it's like, okay, but there are other people reading the internet than people who go on L and go on Teen Vogue. And so it was this weird thing where to me as a journalist, I was like, are they sabotaging their own artists by not giving them access to other outlets to do interviews? It's a weird situation in that regard. And I think, unfortunately, so many fans don't 100% understand the workings of labels that fans blame themselves. And so I think that that's, again, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like BTS fans go above and beyond because they're like well we have to do it because who else is going to do it and it's like that's kind of their label's job but like good for you but also even if you are giving them success if the label doesn't think that they can have success here without putting out countless english singles then that's Mm. what's going to keep happening no matter how hard you try and continue to have the korean language singles chart because the label in america or whoever it is that they work for is like no there's like a specific checklist you need to tick off in order to be successful in america America, no matter what the fans perceptions are well sarah we talk about this all the time there's so many gatekeepers yes. so many yeah. the record labels the radio industry the festivals all of it all of it adds up it's not just the grammys you know it's not just the grammys responsibility to solve these issues it's it's all of it together we talk about this a lot on my show the k-pop cast and we're all like veteran k-pop fans and have seen many a label many a band throw themselves at the American gates and just end up splattered on the floor and ashamed that they couldn't crack America, like whatever that means. We're going to see what happens with NCT Hollywood. Oh my God. (laughs) The latest iteration of trying to break America. Yeah. talk, Talk about like joining them and doing what they do like k-pop coming full circle to make american boy bands is just like so bizarre to me it yeah but it's just the logical conclusion so i have a question as again an observer do we think that there's any potential to properly erase the stigma around k-pop because i feel like in just the little bit that jenna was like here's some homework to understand what's going on here and just because 
I feel like people can like whatever they like and there's nothing wrong with artists trying to make money because again, as I've said, American artists do this all the time, but they just do it in a different way. So it's not viewed as evil or whatever. Do we have hope that there's a chance for this to stop? That the stigma will go away? That even people like myself will stop having that fear of if I understand everything, I can't like K-pop. You can answer that in a couple ways. I think... Please. uh, (laughs) I, I think over time and over the past few years specifically, we've seen K-pop's popularity in the U.S. just skyrocket to where like everybody knows who BTS is or at least knows who Psy is, you know, and it's just going to keep moving along incrementally in terms of awareness. The shock factor of, oh, K-pop exists is going to like peter off and go away. In terms of the the stigma, as we've said, we're going up against maybe the biggest propaganda force on the planet of American white supremacist capitalism, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is propping up the narratives that stigmatize K-pop for its own, not just like extra advantage, but for its own stability. Because if we let go of stigmatizing K-pop, we turn the mirror back to America, right? You're next. Just everything is connected. It's all connected. You know, and this is a thing we hear often, like feminism, it's not just about women's rights. It's not just about race. It's all of these things together because all of these things are the opposite of what white supremacy capitalism is. Yes, all of those are are branches of the same beast, if you will. And that's why in this conversation, I've tried a lot to like steer the mirror back to the American industry. And like, what are the stories we just take for granted about American artists, American fans, American people? Like those didn't come out of nowhere those stories benefit someone and they're not real we've just been told the stories growing up so we've never questioned them yeah we're just like oh yeah it's it's in the water and like (laughs) ooh, k-pop ooh, they're doing it all wrong but like mm, actually that's why i resist the temptation to say like well no k-pop artists write their own songs well no k-pop artists are just as american are just as independent just as self-made but like whoa it's not true and like why is that the ideal when americans don't even do that yeah yeah like whoa, whoa, whoa. it's okay <laughs> like that that k-pop artists and american artists don't write their own songs who cares just enjoy it's so interesting because also i feel like there is a lot of conversation around like why are bts putting out so many english singles and i think that I can't remember, Jenna, if you sent this to me or if I just saw it on Twitter, but there was like a tweet, like a meme basically of like a Trojan horse where like they're coming up with like the English (laughs) single and then inside is all these like Korean songs. And so it's the same thing where it's like ABBA used to sing in Swedish and then they Mm -hmm. put music out in English and then they're like the biggest disco band ever, you know? And you have these situations, but also at the same time, people, especially younger generations are becoming more aware of other cultures and more willing to learn and so you have people more willing to listen to music not in English but also at the same time it's like rich people have been listening to people sing in Italian in like high pitched voices Mm. in fancy clothes Uh since like the 17th century Uh and so you you, have these things where it's like oh why is opera cool and like not K-pop like how is there any difference it's just like there's just so much there's so much to unpack (laughs) yeah but there's just hierarchy (laughs) yeah the racial hierarchy that's it wow and there's just so many steps into why all these things are viewed in certain ways and changed in different ways like i understand why there is the upset of like oh they're having to change to cater to the american audience and this is the thing that upsets me just as somebody who isn't like and i'm not even a fan but it's like upsetting that it feels like even though they are so fucking successful everybody knows who they are you'd be hard pressed to find a person that doesn't know who BTS is who's been around anybody under the age of like 35 you know and yet there still is that pressure to put out music that is in English to cater to this US audience to an imaginary like ideal of an American audience yeah exactly and it's just it's so weird because in my mind it's like you're catering to the people who don't deserve music like in a way because these people who are like oh I'm not going to listen to it if it's not in English oh I'm not going to listen to Little Nas X because he's lap dance for the devil or like dance naked in a jail cell oh I'm not going to listen to Cardi B because she's singing about her pussy like Mm -hmm. conservatives don't deserve music (laughs) like (laughs) 
They just like, don't. <laughs> also, I feel like we have so many coming of age type movies where it's like, I'm an outsider and everyone hates me. So I'm going to transform into what they are. Mm. So they'll accept me and then they still don't accept you. And they're like, wow, and I should have just been who I was all along. <laughs> Duh. How Duh. many movies do we have like that, you know? Yeah, BTS's like last album is all love yourself, be yourself, be comfortable being yourself. And then they release Dynamite, Butter, Permission to Dance. Okay. <laughs> this is also no hate. If yeah. you know, if that's what they truly love, yeah. if they want to explore this new side of themselves, so be it. You know, nothing wrong with right, exploring right. And, new and opportunities. It's, it's also just an issue with like we say BTS is doing XYZ. It's really like Hybe, big hit, the label that is making all of these decisions. And also, like, for anyone listening, this is not an attack on BTS whatsoever. We're just using them as an example because they're the prime thing most people can understand and relate to. Yeah. Love BTS. So as a fan of this music, as well as somebody who speaks about it quite often, is there the understanding that these English singles are to cater to an audience that exists outside of the fandom? Like, is there yes. an understanding there that for the success that the fans want them to have, unfortunately, some steps are going to be need to be taken that fans might not necessarily agree with? Uh, th- th- there's a few different pieces there. I, I think that all yeah. ARMY would agree that the last three releases were made as a you know unveiled like naked attempt to break the american market and go after fans who don't listen to k-pop right now all that other stuff about you know compromises in musical integrity like that's more up for a debate this has honestly been such a fascinating conversation i feel like the more and more episodes we're able to do on this podcast the more we learn about these things and realize how interconnected they really all are so yeah this conversation definitely went beyond my hopes and dreams for it so stephanie i want to say a big thank you for joining us and for helping us flip the mirror and really kind of dig into to some of these big ideas that we have no oh, thank you so much for having me that was so much fun i could talk about this all day every day so <laughs> yeah it's a pleasure to get to know y'all ladies better keep doing what you do thank you and then we will have links to socials links to the k-pop cast if you guys want to go check out their podcast and hang out with them on twitter they do have some really fun twitter spaces that i've been listening into and tweeting along with so if you guys are interested interested in that stuff we'll have all the links in the description below well jenna you finally did it you got me to talk about k-pop yeah <laughs> and the thing is we didn't really talk about k-pop <laughs> we talked about all of america's problems no. In a way that makes K-pop seem less of this villain that for some reason the U.S. media is making out to be. I mean, that's kind of the way it has to be, right? Instead of defending K-pop, ask why are we in the position where we have to defend K-pop, where we have to destigmatize K-pop? I think that's the whole point of this. So as always, I feel like this is one of those episodes we could have easily turned into three hour long thing but i definitely (laughs) learned a lot through this sarah do you feel like you learned a lot through this i think it opened my eyes to a lot of what's what's going on and why fandom does take up like 80 percent of being a k-pop fan because there is so much to fight for and which is something i already understood but i feel like i understand it a bit better now because in having this discussion and having our knowledge of the music industry and how things work within it it's the acknowledgement by speaking of realizing like not every person has the same information that we have of how the music industry works and how these things function and so I think that I was sort of clouded by the knowledge that I have that like the US market is exactly the same and we're just being fucking racist about everything (laughs) where a lot of fans aren't in the know of that so there are these like preconceived notions of like we need to prove more because people don't understand our music when it's like it's pretty much the same exact thing but K-pop is just giving it to you on a silver platter whereas american music is like behind the curtain the wizard of oz isn't real yes yeah yeah that's a lot yeah a lot of what it is for sure and to answer your kind of final question to stephanie which was are we gonna see a point in time where k-pop is destigmatized probably not probably not in our lifetime like in 10 years it'll be better in 15 years it'll be better like this is always gonna be something that we're gonna be fighting for this is the same thing we talk about with country music of should we just 
boycott country music the genre and make our own genre that's inclusive of other people same thing different name right i think that it's interesting because it's like we made this podcast because we're like we can change things and it feels like the experts that we've been having on and talking about their genre or their fandom that's having all these problems they're like i don't know if things are fixable and it's like no you have to believe that we can change things and that it's not going to take 50 years to change things because I don't think it will. I feel like there's enough forward momentum and enough acknowledgement even in journalists like you have a friend who writes about k-pop and it's like they're trying to destigmatize things in the media so it's like people are taking the steps i don't think that it's something that's so far away as we think i think that right now yes it might seem pretty bleak but i think that there's so much potential for change and for acceptance of things and that it's just realizing that the people holding the power are gonna die (laughs) and we're we're gonna be able to take on the reins I mean, this is the thing is we're the closest to changing things that we've ever been. Like every single time we have a conversation, every single article that's written, every single day that goes by where there are people like us fighting for things, we're one step closer to it. And I think that's why it looks bleak and abysmal at times is because you're like, oh my God, look how much has to be done. But the only way we get there is by continuing to do the work. Because I mean, same thing with our fat phobia episode of Patricia, who was trying to be a part of a 90s movement who was working towards more fat acceptance Mm -hmm. and everyone was like no thank you like people have and riot girl i mean there's countless examples of people of movements of people been fighting for things forever but right now you know as time goes on we're always going to be the closest we are to flipping the narrative but with gen z in particular i think this is the most hope for us (laughs) yeah so we'll see so i guess for you guys listening do you feel like k-pop makes more sense to you now are you even more confused because the conversation did lean very heavily on how american music is so similar what are your thoughts what are your feelings what is your favorite k-pop band and who is your bias let me know I don't think I'm ever going to fully understand what's going on, but I think at this point, as long as I don't post about it on Twitter, I think I can listen to K-pop music and not feel like I'm wronging anybody in doing yeah. so. So that's that's nice. That's totally <laughs> that's fair. fun and exciting. If you guys now feel like you can just listen to K-pop music and not have any problems, <laughs> or if you want to hear more about K-pop, I'm sure Stephanie would love to <laughs> give us more information because she definitely has a really good way of making you think about what's actually happening which is always great for us so yeah so if you have any thoughts comments concerns come hit us up on socials we are at name three songs everywhere or you can talk to us personally i'm at sarah underscore fagan and jenna is at jenna underscore million thanks for joining us this week on name three songs until next time never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band and remember you're never too cool to listen to k-pop Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. They really help. If you want to find out more about any of the things we talked about in this episode, you can visit Name3Songs.com. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com